Chapter Four of Janet of the Dunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Janet of the Dunes by Harriet T. Comstock. Chapter Four. Janet, where you going? Over to the hills, Susan Jane. Everything rid up. Everything. I never felt my powerlessness so much as I have since you come. I'm sorry, Susan Jane. It must be hard to see others active if one is tied as you are. Try not to look at me. Not look at you? Ha! <laughs> Gals need watchin'. I know it would suit more'n you, like as not, if I'd been struck blind as well as helpless. But I ain't blind. I see all that's going, and more, too. Janet sighed. The atmosphere of the light below stairs was depressing. What's Mark Tapkins hanging round for? It was his turn at the light last night, Susan Jane. Land's sake, I know that. Didn't I hear David snoring fit to bust till morning? But Mark didn't used to lap his turn clear on to the next forenoon. "'Janet, do you know what I think?' "'No, Susan Jane.' "'I think Mark Tapkins is shining up to you.' "'Do you, Susan Jane?' Janet was struggling with her hair. "'Yes, I do. And I feel it's my place to tell you that it ain't a bad chance for you. Mark's a steady, slow fellow, but he ain't lackin'. You're dreadful giddy and don't take to houseways. Mark's father is the best housekeeper I know on. He's sort of daft, but all the sense he has left has gone to cookin' and managin' a house. He ain't old, and the soft-headed kind last longer than keener folks. It would fit into your ways right proper. Mrs. Joe G.'s girl couldn't stand it. She is so brisk and contrivin', and Mrs. Joe G., being right here on hand, has hopes of working Maud Grace off on some border. But you ain't got nobody to pilot you, Janet, and you're queer and unlikely, except in looks, and some doubt's the worth of them. As long as Mark is leanin' toward you, I think it my duty to head you toward him. Thank you, Susan Jane, but I'll pilot myself, please. The girl's face showed an angry flush. "'Shall I open the Bible for you before I go?' "'Yes. You know the place?' "'It falls open to the page, Susan Jane.' "'Thank you. And please put the money box where I can see it. Was it one or two weeks you paid for?' Two, Susan Jane. Now I must be off. Tell David not to wait dinner.' "'Wait, dinner,' sniffed Susan Jane. "'Well, listen to them airs. "'Wait, dinner. "'I'd like to see anyone, boarder or saucy jade, "'as would make me wait dinner.' "'Janet had fled before the rising storm. "'There she goes, sails set and full-rigged, "'and Mark Tapkins following on a hind "'like a little lopsided tug after an ocean steamer.' Poor, helpless Susan Jane looked after the two, all her irritable, action-checked misery breaking through her eyes. "'Lord!' she moaned. 
I don't want to live, and yet, for all I know, this may be better than nothing. I don't want to be nothing. Just looking on is better than that. Janet, striding along the woodpath beyond the light, heard the shambling steps behind her. She turned and saw Mark. He was tall and lank. He leaned forward from the shoulders loosely, and his face had the patient, dull expression of a faithful but none too fine breed dog. "'Where are you going, Mark?' the girl turned. "'Long are you, Janet. I've... I've got to say something.' "'Oh, please don't, Mark. I've been hearing things since sun-up, and you've been in the light all night. You're in no condition to say things.' "'Yes, I be too, Janet. I always feel keener after a night awake. Since I've sought up in the light, I've been considerable spryer, or maybe it's you.' Janet heaved a sigh. "'Mark,' she pleaded, "'there isn't an earthly thing you can say that I want to hear this morning. I'm going to the hills on business, and I must be as calm as I can. It's them hills as has made me come to the point.' Them hills is bristlin' with city folks, men and women. I've heard what you're aimin' at. Goin' up to the hills to get a job of some sort. You're innocent, and you're a gal, Janet, and I'm a man, and I've spent six months in the city, and I know its ways, and I know men. You're too good-lookin', Janet, to mix up with what's on the hills. The mixture of foolishness and wisdom the effort to protect in man-fashion what was weak, moved Janet strangely. "'Mark,' she faltered, "'you need not be afraid. I know I do not understand, and that helps. If I thought I did, there might be danger. It's just the same as if I were James B. going up there to peddle, well, clams. You need not fear a bit more for me than for him.' Mark gazed stupidly at the glowing face. "'I guess I must love you,' he said at last. "'Things come kind of slow to me. I was always one to drift along with the tide. But when I plump into a rock, I get some jarred, same as others. I went to the city that time to see if I could get my bearin' at a distance. But when I come back, I sort of lost the channel and took again to driftin'. But this here hills business has livened me up considerable. Did you ever think what I left Pa for and went to the city, Janet? I thought you wanted to see the world, Mark. Well, I didn't. Quinton is world enough for me. I went to see if I could get, off there alone, a proper sense of just what I did want. I wanted to choose a course for myself, independent of Pa, but save us. I hankered after Pa so, and I came nigh to perishin' for his cookin'. I come nigher, though, to perishin' from tryin' to get something like it once while I was away. A gleam of thin humor crossed the dull face. What was that? Janet asked, thankful for any side path that led away from the danger point. Crullers! Mark laughed a rattling, unmirthful laugh. "'Crullers! 
I got thinking of Pa's one day, and I went to a pasty shop, and I says, Have you got crullers? The gal behind the counter says, Yes, how many? I recallin' Pa's, and feelin' weak in the pit of my stomach from hunger, I answered back, Three dozen. The gal leaped back a step, then she hauled out a bag about the size of a bushel, and begins shovelin' in round humpy things, most all whole in the center, but considerable sizable as to girth. I was up to cityways by then, and I warn't going to show any surprise if she'd loaded an oyster boat full of cakes on me. So I paid up without a word and went out of the shop shoulderin' the bag. It took me about a week to get rid of them crullers, groaned Mark. And I've told Pa since I come back that he better learn to make city crullers for the city trade this summer. Countin' holes and puffy air, they pay better than Pa's solid little cakes. Janet was laughing merrily. Why, Mark, she said presently, you've got an idea. Tell your father to make his crullers for the city trade. He'll make his fortune. Put a sign on your gate and teach the boarders what crullers really are. Mark was not heeding. I've um, he went on presently, while I was down to the city, what with poor food and not enough of it, and homesickness fit to kill, I thought I seed my course clear. I had a job opening oysters, and I worked, I can tell you. "'Bout all the city folks eat oysters, and I seed a good bit of life down at my shop, and I learned city ways and badness. Then I got sick and come home, thinkin' I was ready to settle down, and then I got to driftin', and so it went till now. And when I heard about you goin' up to the hills and knowin' what I'd do about city ways, I just reasoned out that I must love you, else I wouldn't mind so much.' I ain't no great shucks, but I can watch you, and no one shan't harm you, and Pa's more'n willin' to see to the house and cook, no matter who comes in as my wife, and you can run wild, and no one will have the right to hinder, and I'll stand off and watch, and that's something. Oh, Mark, please, please don't. The poor fellow's dumb effort to protect her was an added heartache to carry to the hills. You must not, Mark, dear. You don't want a woman to watch. You want one to watch with you, one whom you love and who loves you. Put that sign out for crullers, Mark. I know you can make money, and some day a good, helpful girl will come your way. No, Janet, Mark's patient voice sank drearily. If you won't let me watch over you, I'll watch without your leave. I won't bother you none, but I thank God I've got city ways to meet city ways. I'm plumb shamed of the way our gals is actin' with the boarders. I'm a good watcher, Janet. They had come to the dividing of the ways. Can't I go on, Janet? No, Mark, you must go home and sleep. Goodbye, Janet, till tomorrow. Goodbye, Mark. She watched the slouching figure out of sight. "'With all my watchers,' she faltered, "'I feel like a ship riding near the bar, with the crew's eyes upon it. 
and then she went, less courageously, on the upward way. The path ran uphill and down dale, with always a steady rise. The water of the bay lay blue and smiling round about the hills. The scrub oak, the blueberries, the luxuriant wild rose, and variegated grasses made color so exquisite and rare that the only wonder was that the hills were not crowded with adoring nature worshippers. The never-ceasing breeze came caressingly over the flower-strewn stretches. Nothing stayed its course, and there was health-giving tonic in its breath. Beyond, where Brown Brother raised its superior height, the artist colony had pitched its tents. Toward that settlement, with her daring request, Janet walked. As she neared it, her brave heart grew weak and weaker. How was she to word her proposition? What was she to offer in return for instruction that was to help her to fame and fortune? She feared every moment that she might meet a little wagon drawn by a sun-bonneted, long-aproned woman, or a man not less picturesque. She sat down to consider. And then, to make thought easier, she lay at full length, closing her eyes and dreaming luxuriously. The summer day lured her senses deliciously. Even the late experience with Mark was mellowed by the present delight. The memory of the recent encounter with the master of Bluffhead stirred her pulses to a quicker time. Ah, life was glorious. Life was full, in spite of it all. It was like the sea in a fog or an unopened book. She had only to wait and smile and love, and life would expand into a perfect day. Something drew the girl to a sitting posture. A nameless fear was upon her. She glanced around, and near her, upon a knoll, sat a man, a young man. No little wagon put its seal upon his calling, but the broad hat, set well back from the handsome face, had a distant but fatal mark of the artist colony upon it. The stranger had a board firmly placed upon his knees, and even as he gazed at Janet with a devouring intensity, he was working rapidly with a long, slim brush. "'What are you doing?' The question was torn from the girl without reason or forethought. "'Painting a picture!' The voice was solemn, almost to absurdity. "'A picture of what?' Outraged imagination arose to the fore. "'The spirit of the dunes. Keep still a minute, then I'll let you see it if you want to. Yes, I do want to. Dignity of a new order was born within Janet at that instant. This probably was a lesser being than the wagon-loaded geniuses. Their work was not unknown to the girl, nor had it escaped her scorn. If this meaner devotee of art had mangled her into a hideous likeness of herself, she would resent it, and with reason. Slowly she arose and went up behind the man. What she saw stayed anger and all other emotions, save wonder. Surely the hills, with all their real color and outline, were ensnared upon that square of paper. Never was there a truer reflection of the bay. Janet could almost feel the breeze that swayed the scrub oaks and wild roses in the picture. 
but that marvel was the least. Who, what was that in the soft dimple of the little hill? A being of grace, of beauty, and of a wildness that was part of the hills and wind. In the final estimate of any picture, two artists must bear part, the one who has wrought and the one who appreciates. These two looked now upon the exquisite sketch. "'How do you like it?' The man did not turn or raise his eyes, but his voice brought the quick color to the smooth brown cheeks. "'Do—do do I look like that?' "'As near as mere man can reproduce you. If I had a magic brush and heaven's own paint pots, I believe I could have done better.' I wish you had stayed a half hour longer, but thank God I've at least caught a hint of you. I look like that? Amazement thrilled through and through the low voice. You look like that, and I am grateful for the best criticism I could ask. What's the matter? What in thunder is the matter? For Janet had sunk down beside him, hid her head in her folded arms, and was sobbing as if her heart would break. "'What in—' "'I say, Miss—Miss—what shall I call you? For heaven's sake, tell me what I've done.' "'Oh, you've dashed every bit of hope I had to—to to earn money, and—and and fame, for Cap'n Daddy and me.' The young artist laid his sketch tenderly aside to dry. It was too precious to endanger, even in this disturbed moment. Once it was safe, he stood his full height of six feet two, put his hands in his jacket pockets, looked down upon the heaving body of the spirit of the dunes, and said firmly, "'You've got to explain yourself, you know. I don't want to use force.' but really you must look me in the face and try to make me understand. Janet lowered her hands at once and gazed upward with her eyes full of distress and apology. I do not know what you will think of me. I'm ashamed, indeed I am. But, well, you cannot understand. I never minded so much when I saw the things the others did. Their pictures didn't look like anything real, anything like our dunes and the hills, and I thought I could learn, at least, to do such pictures as theirs and get money. But you've shown me another kind. I can never, never learn to make such pictures as that. Her sorrowful gaze fell upon the sketch, drying nearby. And you... You seem to be taking something away from us. Something that is ours, not yours at all. What right have you to take the hills, and me, without paying well for the privilege? During this harangue the man had stood motionless, gazing in growing astonishment upon the radiant uplifted face which was swept by passion's clouds as the June sky was swept by softer ones. "'By Jove!' he muttered at last, and a smile broke upon his handsome browned face. "'You Quintonites make us pay well for all we get. "'You swoop down upon us like a cloud of vultures, or witnesses, 
but it's driving the bargain pretty hard when you set a price upon what we see in it all, and what heaven meant should be free. As for you, he paused and threw himself full length upon the sand and laughed good-humoredly, I beg your pardon. I really had no right to put you in the picture without your permission. I thought, as true as heaven hears me, that you were like, well, the other girls of the place, and they coaxed to have themselves taken, as they call it. Now that I hear you speak, I see that you are different, and I beg your pardon, upon my word, I do. And what's more, the sketch is yours, unless you give me the right to keep it. I'm afraid I cannot make you understand my position, but the temptation to put you in the picture was too much for mortal painter man. Janet's face cleared slowly. "'If you mean I'm different from the other girls because I speak differently,' she said slowly, "'I can tell you that it is simply because I've listened and read more. I hate to use words badly when they sound so much better right. I practice, but I'm just a Quinton girl.' "'Oh, I see.' You have higher aspirations? That is why you wanted to learn to paint? No. At least that isn't the real reason. I want money. Great Scott! There was mockery and a new pleasure in the man's voice now. He was open to revelation in regard to Quinton characteristics, and he sensed an original type before him. "'You to tell me in this brutally frank manner that you want money? "'You with that face?' "'A flush tinged the bronze of Janet's cheeks again. "'Yes, I want money,' she said defiantly. "'Some get it by waiting on table. "'Some feed you and wash for you. "'I cannot do those things. "'I just cannot.' "'Heaven forbid!' "'But there must be some way?' The frank, almost boyish tone disarmed the listener. His smile fled, and when he spoke, the mockery had departed. His better nature rose to meet the blind need in the girl's desire, and his artistic sense guided him to a possible path. "'I wish you would give me some name to call you by,' he said. "'You have mentioned Cap'n Daddy,' Am I to understand that your name is, is? My captain's name is Morgan. I'm Janet. Thank you, Miss Janet. I haven't a card, but Mr. Richard Thornley presents his compliments. The humor of the situation began to dawn upon the girl. We are all captains down here, she explained. We each have our captain. Mine is over at the station on the beach. I'm staying just now with Captain David at the light, while I'm looking for something to do. Miss Janet, I have a business proposition. Thornley folded his arms. I've had an inspiration. During the three-quarters of an hour that you lay upon the sands, I saw you, not only as I saw you then and caught you, but I saw you flitting through several pictures. I even named the pictures Spirit of the Dunes. I advise you for your own good, Miss Janet, 
Do not struggle to learn to make daubs. It never pays. It's hard enough to make the best go. But you can help me, and together we'll create some pictures that will set the town gaping. What do you say? I do not understand. Well, sit for me. Be my model. Let me put you in my pictures. I'll pay you well, and if I sell the pictures, you'll have a kind of fame to offer your Captain Daddy that no girl need be ashamed of. Have you caught my meaning? You mean, if I sit here upon the hills... Sit, stand, or lie among them, Thornley explained. You'll paint me and pay me, and then take your pictures to the city and sell them? Try to, Thornley laughed easily. I'm one of the few fortunate devils who has sold a picture or two. My hopes for the future are good. I'll do it, cried Janet. It's about the easiest way to get the boarders' money I've heard of yet. The laugh that rang out made Thornley stare. I did not know anyone could laugh in quite that way, he said. It sounded, well, it sounded like part of the air and place. Miss Janet, he spoke slower, feeling his way as he went. I'm going to ask you to keep this business arrangement private. The other artists would be quick enough to filch my prize if they could. No one else shall paint me, Janet assured him. If I see a little wagon, I'll pull down my bonnet. Thank you. And those on your side, too, Miss Janet. You're Captain Daddy and that Captain of the Light. I'd like to surprise them by and by. Is it a go? Oh, yes. The frank innocence in the girl's face again stirred Thornley. It's a go, if my watchers do not interfere. Your watchers? Yes. I'm considered rather a, well, something like a ship that's likely to be wrecked. I don't know why folks are always thinking I may go to the bar, but they do. And several of them have an eye on me. I can almost feel Daddy's eye way over from the station. And there's Davy. I shouldn't wonder now if he were looking at me as he hauls the oil up to the lamp. And Susan Jane, chair-ridden as she is, has eyes that go out like a devilfish's feelers. And then there's Mark Tapkins. I'm afraid you'll have trouble with Mark's eyes. Thornley was laughing uproariously. You open a vista of human possibilities that makes me about crazy, he said. Your associates must all be Arguses. But I like not, Mark. Just where does Tapkins come in? Most everywhere. Janet joined in the carefree laugh. She felt perfectly at her ease with this stranger now. Born and reared where equality and good fellowship existed, she knew no need of caution. To dislike a person was the only ground for suspicion. To like him was an open sesame to heart and confidence, and Janet liked the stranger immensely. "'Mark comes in most everywhere,' she repeated. "'You'll have to look out for Mark.' 
"'He loves you, I suppose?' Thornley forbore to laugh, and he searched the frank face near him. "'Now, whatever made you guess that? "'He is not quite sure himself. "'He's never sure of anything, and I never suspected it until lately. "'You're rather keen.' "'Well, we'll escape Tapkins's eagle eye. "'Forewarned is forearmed. "'Now, see here, partner. "'Can you blow this whistle?' "'Thornley took a small golden watch charm from his fob. "'It seemed a toy, but when Janet placed it to her lips and blew, "'it emitted a shrill, far-reaching call that startled her. "'I'll prowl on these parts every day when it doesn't pour cats and dogs,' Thornley explained. "'And when you can escape the watch, come to the hills, blow the whistle, and presto! "'Change! I'll be on the scene before you can count twenty. "'Miss Janet, fame and fortune yawn before us, actually yawn. "'And now, may I keep this?' He picked up the sketch and came close to the girl, his shoulder touching hers, as they looked at the picture together. "'Yes,' Janet said softly, the beauty of the thing holding her anew. "'Yes, you've made them your very own, the hills and me, and the sky and the water. It's very wonderful. I never saw anything like it. If you only forget, it is easy to imagine that this is a reflection. Thank you, Thornley moved away. Thank you. That's about the greatest praise I've ever had. This is only a water sketch, too. Wait till you've seen it in oil. I've a shanty over there, he pointed below them, where a hollow, opening toward the bay, held a tiny building in its almost secret shelter. I'm generally there when I'm not tramping the open. Would you, uh, well, would you mind letting me pose you there some day? Oh, no, Janet beamed delightedly. I'd love to see the inside of your shanty. I dare say it's enchanted, and besides, she showed her white teeth deliciously, I do not believe Mark could watch me there. She rose and picked up her sunbonnet. "'The sun has passed noon,' she said ruefully. "'And I've a good three miles to walk. "'Good-bye, Mr. Thornley. It's been a wonderful morning.' She started rapidly down the hill. Thornley waved to her as she went, until a friendly hillock hid her. End of chapter 4 Recording by Roger Moline